Hello, hello. Welcome to our very own brand new episode of Cinema Exposure. I am your host, Brandon White, and I'm here with my co-host, Jason Steen. How are you doing today? So there's Jay's answer for that. <laughs> so for our special episode, we have our guest for this podcast. Uh, tell us your name and tell us a little bit about you. Hey guys, my name is Kyle. Uh, I've been friends with Jay and Brandon for about a good close to two years now, I believe. Met him on an app called Stardust, has been since been canned, no longer around. But I joined their Instagram chat and uh, we've been friends ever since. Uh, I love movies, that's why I'm here. Uh, I think the movie that got me into kind of like critiquing or like uh, looking more into movies was the Baby Driver. Saw it in theaters with my mom when it came out and just fell in love with it. Loved how loud the theater was and everything and made me want to look more into how it was made and everything. And ever since I've just been, you know, like a, compl- a completely different person, but I uh, super excited to be here guys. <laughs> Kyle watching baby driver might as well be a musical version of fast and fears. Just how he used to score for it. <laughs> Changed my life. <laughs> hey, I'm blaming That movie was so good. So for our episode, we're going to talk about a movie that came out this year. We're going to talk about, and we'll get to our main event. So therefore, let's talk about House of Gucci. Kyle, what's, how did you feel about the movie? Well, I uh, just saw it like I'd say maybe an hour ago. I got out of the theater, and uh, initial first thoughts, I thought it was a pretty all right movie. It was very enjoyable. Uh, a lot of the moments in the movie, I enjoyed for the most part. It's a pretty messy movie, though, in my opinion. I thought all the actors did a semi-decent job. Um, some stood out more than others. Um, but overall, it's, uh, it's definitely a movie that uh, definitely got to see for yourself to form your own opinion on. I, I, uh, I believe that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because quite frankly, it is a mess. But at least for me personally, it's a fun mess. I, I, have, I have blast how messy that movie is. <laughs> I got to give this movie credit for one thing is keeping the Ridley Scott tradition of having a divisive ass movie. <laughs> and and at this, at this point of his career, especially a divisive movie. And an ugly ass color palette. To yeah. And uh, an ugly, ugly color palette. <laughs> like this were like black and white almost. Bro. This, the scene where drivers taking a picture of Gaga on the balcony of their new place. I'm like, that background it looks ugly and the cinematography is not helping. It makes it look worse. I thought I was watching like an early DC movie or something. Huh? Like a Snyder movie or some shit. Like the movie it can't, doesn't commit to its premise because Brandon, when you told me this movie was just a campy soap opera for like the first hour, I was like, oh shit, hell yeah, this is goofy. This is like watching BET after dark, like back in the day, or MTV after hours. But then the movie does this stuff where it's like, oh, we have to be a prestigious dramatic Oscar movie. And those dramatic moments don't work because of the goofy nature from scenes prior. That and especially, it doesn't help that this movie has a terrible sense of time, terrible sense of progression of time. Like there is a moment when uh, 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 some characters have a child and that child is all grown up now and I'm just like I thought the how? same thing I thought the <laughs> same thing like like okay like uh, there's a scene where I don't know I don't want to spoil anything too big but 
certain character has a child and in like the next scene she's they're out of the hospital like what happened in that time are we just supposed to just like ignore that they should be staying in a hospital i don't know it 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 it's very in, in that sense it's messy because it just jumps to scene to scene to scene without any real transition and it just felt like kind of jarring at points yeah and i wish i i don't think it would be much of a problem if it just commit to an approach to its story like if it just commit to being just a, a almost a three-hour long soap opera first off then you'd be this long i felt that runtime like nobody's business but if it just fully committed Instead of just trying to appeal to like award season, well, we would have been much better because they will have a consistent style. Because there are characters when there there are moments when their personalities work, but then when it's being dramatic and they have that same approach, it is downright bad. Specifically, Jared Leto. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll definitely say like because. Uh... When I saw Jared Leto's performance at first, I was like, this seems like a caricature. And I wasn't sure how to feel about it since I was part Italian. So I was like, I'm not sure if I should feel offended or not. But I think for me personally, even though I'm like, yeah, he sticks out like a sore thumb. But again, I guess it just kind of, for me, it kind of works with the soap opera charm feel to it. Because I'm like, his character is essentially a punching bag. And so I'm like, hey, what better yet for a punching bag character to be played by, at least for me, a punching bag of an actor himself. <laughs> Jesus, you're being spirited. <laughs> I mean, I agree, but holy shit, dude. <laughs> Man, see, I agree. I agree with everything you just said. If it was all about all, if we're talking about the first hour of this movie, because there's something that happens to his character later on where they try to make it this big, dramatic, sad thing. And I'm like, I can't take this seriously. Because the tone of the scene does not complement the approach of his performance. It, it the, the tones clash with each other so often throughout this. Yeah, like I don't I don't I don't know if this is a scene you're referring to, but the scene um he Jared Leto is like supposed to be like all sad and everything that this just happened to him, and he's just like, Why would you do this to me? And it's like, I can't take that seriously, dude. Like, and he keeps like, it's a me, it's like some of his dialogue i just like it's supposed to be comedic or it's supposed to be dramatic either way i wasn't i wasn't feeling the dramatic i was just kind of i I felt bad but i was laughing most of the time because it just didn't his performance did not uh gel with the tone of the movie with uh, with the tone of the scene that they were trying to convey I, i i think i'll give the movie credit for this um for people who thought this was going to glorify the Gucci brand or the Gucci family. It doesn't. It doesn't whatsoever. Even when the movie, it for what it's going for, it doesn't work. It never falls into the whole, oh, we're glorifying and showing how how popular and great the clothing is. Like they don't focus on the clothing brand all that much. Like they focus more on the business side of things and how and and just how disgusting it is in the most dramatic soap opera way. Even though I will say at some points there are moments when it's a very fun um a reality show but then there are moments when it's just a cringy cw show <laughs> like especially um if you know the story that this is based on uh, i won't give specifics for those who don't know but there is a death scene that happens in this movie and the way that death scene plays out the person is there like ah uh, oof ah uh, you were saying the other night, night. 
you were saying that the other night, Jay, and I was like, oh, it's not that bad. I watched it today and I was like, it's exactly the way you described it. <laughs> I was like, oh, so this is exactly how Jay described it. Okay, then. Yeah, because I'm like, this is, th- that is a horrific, that is a horrific moment, especially when it happens to, it happens to a specific character where you're like, this person isn't really all that good, but they all are all that bad. They're like the, probably the most um, nuanced character in the movie. So when that moment happens, it's played off being overly dramatic, but it's also this really serious moment because of how the movie ends. And I just think the way this character delivers those lines, it it reminds me of how in in early in like early PlayStation Two games when they were just learning to discover how to put in voice acting to their video games and how when they first did their voice acting, it doesn't sound all that good, but it's cool because we never got it before. That's what that sound like. Just like some, just like some bad dubbing, like in, in, in like, it especially sounds like dubbing that's in post. It didn't sound like that came from when that scene was filmed. Also, it's a slow motion. Like how you said at uh, one point about the movie, how it looks like a DC movie. The way that scene was shot in slow motion felt like a DC, early DC film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that <laughs> scene should not have been comedic, but I was like, it's a little goofy, guys. My like, theater this... cackled. And I'll blame them because it's not, the scene itself is not funny, like you said, but the way they present it, I'm like, this is not good. Like when, when if someone getting shot, in slow motion, they should be like, oh, oh, oof, and literally tumble over. It's literally like the whole shit of, I've fallen and I can't get up. Or just say nothing at all. Just, just, just die. You know, like there's, there's no need to put on a whole show. You know, I mean, I, I don't know, man. It just felt a little too much to me for that scene. That and th- th- there are some people. <laughs> There's just some characters in this movie that I feel like they just forgot about. Like they could have just not had them in there, just mention them on the side. Like, Are you um, referring to Father Gucci himself? Oh, the 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 uh, uh, you mean Scar, the play, uh, the, aka the Great Jeremy Irons? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who's like in it for like thirty minutes, I think, and then just oh less, less really? Yeah. Oh, he's yeah he's not in it all that much he's in it a little bit at the beginning he has a scene with al pacino he has a scene with jared leto he has a scene, one more scene with gaga and um and driver and those scenes together are around like three four minutes each those are four scenes the man has like around 20 minutes of screen time like honestly the catch just left him out just mentioned him in passing yeah he didn't really do too much for the store i mean I don't want to say that because there are some moments <clears throat> with him that like kind of the way he interacts with certain characters does actually like, I think change the way that they act in the movie. So I wouldn't say he's like a huge, like a part that you could just cut out completely, but I do understand most of what you're saying. Yeah. Cause there's, there, there's a big emotional scene with his character um, that just felt empty. It doesn't, because like the one scene where I actually felt something was when he was interacting with Adam Driver, who plays uh, the son. And that moment felt genuine because there was actually a build up to it. The rest of the scenes is just, it, it, is a, it, it is just a scrapbook of images rather than images put together to make a coherent story. 
Uh, but I can't deny though, um, I did have fun with it. Shit is insane. Oh yeah, very enjoyable film, I'd say. Then there's Brandon over here who had a, watched it in the theater all by himself and was recording it. <laughs> this man sent us videos of him like jamming out to like all these different needle drops, and then I'm in the theater like, yeah, it's cool, but jeez. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's like how everyone kept talking about like the sex scene in the movie i'm just like yeah i mean it's, a, it's, an, it's the second movie this year where brother brother adam driver is starving like marvin what was the first one again annette oh i have not seen that yet that's why mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i'm like damn driver was hungry <laughs> he was hungry yeah that, that scene was uh it's not that I felt uncomfortable, but just, uh, I don't know. That was a weird scene, in my opinion. It, it, it is just kind of there, just to be like, just to let you know, they have sex. It's like, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, and play some blaring classical music in the background. because oh, of- oh, that took me completely out of it was the music. Like, I get, like, in certain movies, they'll play a certain song in the background to, like, counteract what's happening on this on the screen but this just felt too much for me at least <laughs> like it, it it's like they have these good moments and then they just get ruined by these random acts of just tonal whiplash yep brandon thoughts yeah yeah, yeah brandon thoughts besides <laughs> the fact besides you pretty much besides you pretty much recording the movie on your phone just theater to yourself yeah, Bro. lucky you, because I had a whole theater, man. You I was freaking, packed. You freaking pirate. <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, I gotta say, having having that movie to myself felt like a godsend. Like honestly, just seeing the whole soapbox was just just in the theaters. I was like, so this is what soapbox opera opera is like. I'm kind of here for it, and and I get and I definitely get it, like the needle drop score. I think for me, it's just like I don't know why it just didn't like I didn't have an issue with it personally because I feel like it was intentionally overbearing but then with the tone of the soap opera feel to it and of course with the tone of whiplash i was like yeah i feel like that's probably and it's in with the tone of it even though i get what you guys are saying like it doesn't really commit <clears throat> doesn't fully commit to it especially the final act where i was like yeah just thinking just keep thinking about the final act i'm like yeah maybe there's some points i'm like maybe it doesn't really quite it's not quite that well executed i feel <laughs> i feel like <clears throat> and with um uh with father gucci himself i actually do i get that but although i did feel like there was some purpose to him especially when i felt like it was like <clears throat> for if it wasn't for him we wouldn't really get much of a start of um adam driver's character arc as a bit of a <clears throat> rebellious rebe- rebellious child in a way so I felt like, I guess with that, I guess it's like, eh, it's just kind of, it's just, I don't know, it just kind of goes either, either way for me. <clears throat> and, 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 and I don't know. I mean, I was also just somewhat intrigued of this character, especially with his like <clears throat> history with films. And of course, like, I guess him having a, such a huge connection with uh, the Gucci brand itself. So I was like, it didn't bother me. It, <clears throat> I was, I, I didn't really felt like, oh, you know, um, without him, it would it would not really progress the story all that much, or it wouldn't 
mean nothing or something. But I, I agree with you, Brandon. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just uh, yeah, for me the the score would feel like it was just just a banger for me, even though I totally get it. Even though the classical music, I was just like, hell yeah, just like just jamming, just having so much fun. <laughs> Jesus. Speak, speaking speaking of the score, um, there's like a it's like the scene where Adam Driver and uh, Lady Gaga first meet, and the score in that scene. I don't know if anyone can remember it at all, but since I just saw it, I remember it, it just felt strange. Like, it, like the, there's a, like the scenes in uh, wonder woman where wonder woman is like kind of walking around town and they have like that kind of goofy music because, Oh, she's not from around here. That's what it reminded me of. It was like really overly, like, I, I don't know. It just felt completely different from the rest of the movie. And like, when I finished the movie, I thought back on, it, I was like, yeah, that was like such a strange choice for the score because you never see that kind of score anywhere throughout the movie and, and like after that scene. Yeah. Cause I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause that's uh, <clears throat> cause that scene where they were just going on, go on their first day. It was very much like a, a techno slash electro pop vibe to it. And I was like, who did the score? <laughs> yeah. It was like, boop, 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 boop. it's like, are we an animal crossing? What, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess for me that scene i didn't mind it just because it was kind of playing on the motif like you typically see like in fairy tale stories like oh her fairy tale's coming true even though really it's gonna evolve into something else almost as if the movie's setting itself up as an anti-fairy tale in a way because that's something i got give credit for how you portray uh gaga's character patricia um is it patricia or uh, what is it patricia which Pat- one was patricia it? Patricia. Yeah, I, uh, I don't think whatsoever they made her character seem like the tragic character because they established that everyone in this movie is a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I never got one bit that they're trying to make her the tragic character. It's like, it, it, it's like if, if someone asks what, why we should not listen to white girl boss feminism, look at Patricia from um, House of Gucci because they never glorified her girl boss type behavior. not not one bit but again the setup for these goofier antics in the movie just doesn't pay off all that much because it never commits for me can we talk about a certain character i believe uh was played by sama hayek oh you mean the the magical uh character thank you so it wasn't just me (laughs) the the magical character okay so it wasn't just me right like she was only there just to like motivate and uh build up the main character right like it's not just me yeah e- even though for what i looked up she did know somebody like that so it is technically faithful it sure. just happened to be that she is the magical caricature <laughs> or sama man she deserved better <laughs> she did man because how they kept hyper her up in the movie and i watched them like Man, no, this ain't it. I'm gonna go back to Eternals. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I was watching that. And I remember just like texting the creature, but like, um, guys, I'm not too sure, but I think they make some of High's character a, a magical here. And I'm not trying to feel funny. Look, I'm a luckily it's su- supposedly faithful because that same woman was, or if you know the story, was arrested for how the uh, a certain event will find the movie in. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But like in real life, was she a fortune teller? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, she was. Okay. Yeah, so it just happened to fall into that. That's a shame. Even though though obviously there are some moments that they clearly embellish and made more over the top. Yeah. Yeah, because like she ain't ain't that goddamn magical when she can, she has, she's having that's so Raven moments. She's like, I can see. The way that Lady Gaga discovered her, did that actually happen in real life too? Oh, 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 I just knew that she was the accomplice for what happens. Because that felt like a movie. That's that that, that was like. that was very much movie world, <laughs> and there was like a one line that was at the again at the last act where she's like, "Yeah, don't mess with us, or I'm gonna put a spell on me." I'm like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, movie world too." Also, the scene where Lady Gaga discovers her, man, she was aggressively eating three bowls of ice cream at once. I'm like, I don't know why, but my whole theater was laughing of how how much she was devouring that ice cream. Of no brain freeze. She was very angry eating that ice cream. Her heart was so on fire from hell that the ice cream didn't have time to freeze her brain. I instantly pictured Brandon right there eating the ice cream. See, I pictured Brandon like that, but with ravioli. Since Brandon <laughs> loved ravioli so much. That would have made the scene better, I think. Just Brandon <laughs> devouring three bowls of ravioli. Or just have me in there, apparently. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> Oh, go ahead, Kyle. No, oh, no, I was gonna say. I mean, anything with Brandon would make it better. So there's that. Uh, I, I was gonna say. So Brandon, since you started this off, uh, what are your final thoughts and your rating for how for House of Gucci? House of Gucci. Um, quite frankly, for my final rating, I've been just kind of like th- thinking about my final rating for so long because it was like it was either this or it was either that. Because <clears throat> again, there's just some stuff I wasn't really feeling quite too sure about, like with some highest character's purpose and. <clears throat> there was like this one part in the beginning where Adam Driver's mic quality was very muffled. And I was like, I get what it was going for, for the scene, but I'm like, this doesn't, this doesn't seem like it's co- co- working. It's not compatible with the scenes presenting, <clears throat> but also just listening to your guys' opinion on, but on it, I was like, kept thinking about, it. I was like, okay, yeah, there might be some stuff. I'm like, mm, it's a little iffy, like mostly at the final act, but <clears throat> overall, Still had a blast. I was really, <laughs> I was having so much fun. Then again, it could be just a bias in me just watching it by myself. So I'm like, oh, this is like, just, it's just so much fun. It just felt like it was meant for me. So on that note, I'll give it a 4.5 out of 5. 9 out of 10. Yeah, you changed it. Yeah. Like 0.5. Still... Very much enjoyed it, which I I respect. Thanks. What about you, Jay? Um, I, I don't enjoy it nearly as much as you because, man, man the, if the rest of me was like that first half, I probably would have given the same ring as you. But there's just too much of it where it, it just blatantly feels like this is a made for award season. And I hate when movies have obvious scenes where they're like, this is the scene that's Go, we're going to try and get a certain character or characters nominated for um, award season. I can't stand that shit in movies. And just the ending, how that was handled, I'm like, this feels abrupt, but I just sat here for almost three hours. And I should not be saying this feels abrupt. This should feel like an ending. So even, even but despite how messy the movie is, I enjoyed it overall. Um I still think the, the the three best performances in the movie in this order are Driver, 
uh, Pacino and Gaga, specifically in that order, even though I think the person who's uh, giving it their all out of everyone is uh, Gaga. I think it works compared to someone like Jared Leto, where I'm just like, just go back to playing Mario games on your Nintendo Switch or whatever. But for me, this is, uh, it's a 3.5 out of 5, so... Uh, 3.5 Gucci's, uh, five Gucci's on the Gucci scale. On the Gucci scale, this was the movie was pretty Gucci, but not very Gucci. So yeah, I would, I would, I wouldn't recommend it, because <laughs> especially since there's so much other stuff about to come out in the next few weeks. But if this is on VOD, rent this and watch this with a group of friends. This is a hilariously messy movie to watch with friends. I think you will get the best reaction watching it together unlike brandon who watched it by himself because brandon's brandon (laughs) kyle what about you to wrap us up on this well i do consider myself a particularly ethical person and i so i am fair so i'm gonna give house of gucci a six out of ten I, nice. I saw what you did there. I can't stand you. I'm dropping my rating. To, I'm dropping <laughs> my rating to one Gucci out of five Gucci just for that. I'm glad you enjoyed. How dare you? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's funny. <laughs> just just find a way. To, I mean, if Jay was making that freaking pun, not I well make Kyle make that joke. Just to make Jay mad. Sounds like music to my ears. <laughs> Speaking of music. Hey, and we're, we're going to get to our main event, which is Amadeus, which is Kyle's choice for this podcast. So, Kyle, uh, what made you want to uh, pick this movie for this episode? Uh, I don't exactly have a, a particular reason why I picked it. Um, I just kind of picked some movies that I wanted to revisit um, that I remember watching um, about maybe a year ago and like enjoying, but not all the way because I don't think I was paying attention as much to it. And this was one of the ones that I suggested, and you guys both agreed on it. So I was like, okay, great. I finally get to re- revisit Amadeus. And um, it's a masterpiece. That's all I'll say at first. I think it is a masterpiece. Uh, Brandon, uh, what is you? What was your initial thoughts on the, on the movie? Because <clears throat> um, quite frankly, I haven't seen that Amadeus in a few years, so it did give me more more the all the more reason to watch Amadeus because I remember back when I was in like, high school for like music appreciation class <clears throat> one of the films that were uh suggested or at least we watched was Amadeus but it was the originals cut not the director's cut uh and it was uh because then which one makes sense because like it's P- it's the rating for that original cut is PG and the director's cut is a uh, Ray R surprisingly so when watching <clears throat> Amadeus for the first time I was like yeah, this is uh, definitely uh, one of the best films I've ever seen uh, of all time, just because I was just really digging c- classical music, even though I don't really listen to it on a regular basis. And of course, I just get to know more about Mozart and his mu- music. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, his music is kind of low-key a banger. So I was just here for it. And of course, listening to uh, Salieri's uh, uh, operas, uh, music also like, was I was just very much vibing with as well. So it's been years. So I was curious to say how it was going to hold up for me personally, just because like we get older. So, you know, our opinions will change of how we feel about films in particular. <clears throat> and 
And, and this was my first time watching the director's cut of Amadeus and just like three hours long, exactly. And gotta say, it is definitely the fastest three hour film I've ever seen. Sorry, Avengers Endgame, but this is this was just faster for me personally. And it still holds up for me. <laughs> what about you, Jay? Oh, so this is my first time ever watching the movie for this episode because I've never seen it before. I've only seen one movie from this director and it was uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is one of my mom's all-time favorite movies. I watched it for the first time. Um, watched it for the first time um, last year in April. And I was really looking forward to how this person was going to tell the story about uh, the character of Mozart, but without them being the, the narrator of the movie. Because it was something I'll say out right after that. I like how the movie establishes a frame, like a frame of reference for how the story is interpreted, is interpreted for somebody who was familiar, uh, familiar with them, played by uh, F. Murray Abraham, who I was only familiar with them specifically from a couple of movies. I'm familiar with them from All the President's Men, uh, Grand, Grand uh, Budapest Hotel, Scar, uh, Scarface, and a couple of other classic movies. So I was familiar with his work, but I heard that this was the one that really hooked people onto him. That yeah, this this guy is the shit. He did that. This guy is a great actor. And right off the bat, I was just like, "Yep, this is great." So just initial thoughts. I won't give my full thoughts yet. Uh, I will keep my opinion a secret for the time being. Uh, how I feel about the movie overall, but starting out. I really like how it started, especially as someone who typically gets annoyed easily at narration in a movie. The narration at the beginning that establishes how us, the viewer, the audience is supposed to uh, perceive the story. I never felt like the narration gave away too much information. It gave away just enough and let the rest of the story um, um, uh, tell itself. So that so those are like my initial thoughts that I've noticed that was really uh, well-framed and directed and presented at the beginning of Amadeus. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially since like <clears throat> in this movie, we're, we're telling the story of Mozart from Sal Salieri, who, <coughs> who quite frankly, uh, didn't really have the best first impression of Mozart. But then again, he overall did not have a great impression of Mozart <laughs> at that point. So it could also, because, so we're going to listen. Uh, so we know more of the story through his lens of how he perceived <clears throat> Mozart in a way, which could be like reliable or it could be, or it could be like maybe unreliable as well. Since like, obviously he has a very um, <clears throat> biased perspective towards Mozart. <clears throat> how he feels about him. They do play with the motif. Like, is this a reliable narrator or is this an unreliable narrator? Especially with how, and uh, the directing of certain scenes, whenever it would do like a shot reverse shot in some conversations, you can tell that the frame of reference is constantly changed between what's truth and what is perception, which I found very interesting with the directing in this movie. Oh yeah, for sure. <clears throat> and, just, and just the performances alone, I'm just like, oh yeah, they're still just amazing as I thought with F. Murray Abram just giving it his all. <laughs> and um. And of course, I believe the, the guy who plays uh, Mozart, Tom Hughes, Hughes, I believe. Yeah, the one who who's no more known for playing uh, Quasimodo from Punchback Notre Dame, 
he was great as he was great as Mozart. Just gives him the whole like uh different uh, expectations on how we perceive Mozart to be, and it's just completely out the window with your expectations. Especially some people like <clears throat> keep talking about him like he's like pretty much like a god, or he's like he's like a child prophecy. He's he's gonna be amazing, but when you actually see him or how you first see him, it's like completely different this man's a child <laughs> exactly and that's just and that's just all just due for like of course for him not having like the best childhood story since obviously he just been spending his whole time just learning how to play piano because of because his father kept pushing him onto that um that ordeal for him so because of it um he just knows more about like playing the piano then obviously just uh his own childhood that and um i want to know y'all's opinion on something that something i paid i i noticed a lot throughout the movie why is y'all's opinion on the movie in regards to how they use the costumes to dictate hierarchy amongst characters so like class status like who has power over who what's y'all's opinion on how they how like so the subtleties and the costume designs to evoke that were y'all's thoughts on that aspect the the one that i noticed was um f murray abraham definitely dressing more darker than the rest of the characters um like in the first scene where um we're introduced to mozart everyone in there is wearing like high uh like you know the basic white wigs you'd see back in the day <laughs> And like very bright, colorful uh, cost, you know, um, outfits. And then there's uh, F. Mary Abraham's character um, with the slick back hair. He's very dark. Uh, his attire is very dark. Um, and honestly, I kind of pinpointed that with um, since he's the one telling the story of who of how Mozart came to be and how his relationship with him. I kind of saw that as him, since you could you can clearly tell when he's telling the story that he was, he was still very insecure of who he was, especially in the music industry. Um, he, I think I, I kind of pinpointed that with him telling uh, with him in that dark attire, uh, it kind of showcased how he felt in the, in the world and how everyone else saw him. Um, not as bright, not as, um, not as visible as the other people in the room and that's kind of what i uh kind of got with what i got from one from that uh for me my take for it i thought again i thought the costumes were really <clears throat> engaging especially since like obviously with the costumes that uh, salieri and his team were wearing it's obviously is very much like very professional more prosperous if you will the show that they very much think of themselves as the higher class up here and of course, when we see Mozart, when he dressed, um, <clears throat> not only what he dressed is very much like goes into a little bit of um, cultural differences, but also just for him to just, in a way, just stick it to the man in some way, just because of what, like, what, what, how, he, what, what he's wearing in terms, of, in terms of his wig. Like one part, his wig was like red at one point, but still have the white uh, coloring to it, and of course, just him just dressed up in a way that doesn't really make him feel prosperous. Just just him just like, okay, yeah, just wore this in. Let's just do this. And of course, as time progresses for what we see, see more of Mozart, obviously you, we see him 
being like this bright, colorful figure, what he wears in the beginning until like when we get to the middle end part, we definitely see him like get into like a little bit darker clothes that shows a little bit, bit of his, uh, <clears throat> his downfall, even to the point where he doesn't even wear the wig at all. He just wears his actual, he, he's just, he's just showing his actual hair. Yeah, like his whole demeanor changes towards the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Because <clears throat> obviously as the movie progresses, we just see like, we definitely see like two arcs, like, two arcs between Salieri and Mozart just collide with each other where one changes the other and where it's intentional or not for what um, <clears throat> their actions cost, I'll say. Because... Uh, <clears throat> With Salieri, obviously he's going through his like his uh, issues, whether it be <clears throat> obviously just because his love for music that starts to change when obviously when Mozart comes in and he and he has at at points he starts to like betray his own love for music in order to be like think of himself as the higher man, the the, <clears throat> the better person when really it's not. And of course with his um, Chris, uh, him judging. Uh, Questioning his own religion because of how he again perceived God looks like God and is like, why aren't you answering my prayer? So it definitely makes him very insecure of his own sense and belief, even to the point he's like, yeah, you're my enemy because why would you? Why? Why is Mozart here? I want him to go away, and you ain't doing that for me. And of course, <clears throat> that doesn't, yeah, obviously, doesn't really quite work out for him. So he's like, nah, screw you. I, I don't want. I want nothing to do with you. And and with Mozart, obviously his own sense of insecurity of his his demeanor, very much act, very much acting like a child because again, didn't really have the childhood life he had, and of course, wasn't quite understanding the adult life, especially when he wants to get his uh, music uh, music out, which in a way is very much him wanting creative control. Which also, in a way, for me personally, is pretty much like, a, uh, like pretty much the act of Hollywood. With the director want to see his creative vision, uh, go, uh, go to the screen, and the higher of of Hollywood is like, uh, I don't think that's really what the people want. Even though, some most of the time the creative control is like, oh yeah, no, that's what people really want. Like for example, like, like I don't know, like like Zack Snyder's Justice League. They didn't want the flash scene, but everybody loved that scene. And that's what Zack Snyder wanted it for it. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the thing about the creative control because it was about the hour mark where he's having a whole conversation with a room full of a bunch of old geezers. And they're like, you can't do this. And that's why I started to pick up on the whole film industry allegory. Uh, throughout throughout the movie I'm like oh shit this is what this is about especially where I, I find it completely dark and disturbing that they uh, present the idea they, they allude to the idea of wanting creative control in an industry where everything has to be uniform to uh, appeal to the the public so they stay they continually get stuff that's familiar to them the whole idea of wanting control over the art you create, I find it pretty messed up that they portray it as something that's a childish thought. Specifically how they portray how the, the, the people who have more money, the people who are in control of what's being distributed, perceive that idea as a childish act. 
as like, why would you want control? Why would you want control over your art where you can just fit in like everyone else? Everyone will like you. And it, it's a disturbing thought that they present as childlike, but that's sadly how a lot of like those, um, a lot of like the distribution of like information and how it's presented to a wide audience to consume is handled. Like disturbing the idea that it's presented as a childish idea, but also disturbing in the fact that um, that that's something that has sadly aged very well, especially with how we see how modern um, forms of art are created nowadays and uh, just mass produced like machines. And then there's Mozart, like what you were saying, Brandon, the more he tries to fight for control over what he wants to do, the more his health is affected. And, I, and, that, and, that's what, and that was horrific to see because his health's affected. And then as his health's affected, uh, uh, Salieri uh, gets a better grasp on himself because he begins to understand who he is outside of the, the space of fitting in. And as he's understanding his idea of how to fit in by not conforming, Mozart is having pretty much destroying his body by not conforming. So I like the whole duality, like you were saying about their character arcs and how one's benefiting from the other suffering and vice versa. Because even though Mozart is suffering physically and mentally, even though Salieri is getting a sense of self, there are still aspects of him that are still in a form of suffering, despite having a better grasp on who he is. Uh, Kyle, what are some of your thoughts on that? Um, to kind of add on to what you said about that that scene that um like like the big the big guys are trying to like control what um Mozart wanted to put out, I find it kind of funny that they did that in uh in this movie considering the fact that it probably more than likely happened to the movie itself considering there's two different cuts of the movie (laughs) (laughs) oh okay so i watched the director's cut for this was that seen in the original cut you're gonna have to ask brandon i've never seen the original cut actually oh geez so brandon was that seen in the original cut which which one you're saying the one where he's trying to um, perform his piece that goes on for with that goes on with no rest, and he tell him you can't do this. Too many notes. Too many notes. Oh no, that's no, that's an original cut as well. <clears throat> Jesus, the, the irony. <laughs> Jesus yeah, Christ. The, 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 if I remember, there are some scenes. <clears throat> uh, I remember watching director's cut. I was like, oh, this might not. This is not an original original cut. For example, like with uh, <clears throat> Mozart's wife, when it comes to like confront, uh, one, go see Salieri about the musical notes, and <laughs> what they and I didn't really know that they, they cut. There's some parts of it that is in the Richard's cut, but of course, what they show in the director's cut, I'm like, ooh, yeah. Now I understand why it's Ray R. Oh no. <laughs> And we get to see more of um, <clears throat> Salieri's flaws as a very insecure, uh, sexually repressed person himself. Since he said at one point that he 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 never had a wife. He 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 just been focusing more on music than his uh pers- personal life. <clears throat> that and I think there was also a part in the director's cut where Salieri was making accusation about Mozart that's completely untrue towards the. The king, <clears throat> as a way for him to um, not get paid by training uh, ch- uh, children about uh, of music wise. 
it, it, it's just crazy how mo um first off um tom uh what's his last name tom Hoops? tom holtz i think tom holtz yeah who plays mozart he just carries so much energy and pain in every scene like even though he's excited you also see the frustration in his face about um he can't always get the way he wants even i i think it's really messed up how the stuff of how he can't get his art created in the way he wants to that also parallels with the relationship he has with his father and his wife because he can't have full control of he he, he it, it seems like the only time he's fine not having control is with his wife but when things aren't working everywhere else and then she's the only one that's around that he normally doesn't control he takes it out on her and that's so messed up and you feel for her character because she goes through a lot to make sure his voice can um be heard and there's a particular scene where i'm like oh don't let this happen don't make her do this this isn't this isn't right this isn't fair his uh his icon um, mozart's iconic uh laugh i think um could be viewed as kind of like quirky or funny but i kind of view it as like very expressionist for him because of the fact that he's not always allowed to express how he feels because of the industry that he's in. And I feel like his, his laugh could be viewed as comedic or, you know, quirky or whatever, but I kind of view it as him. Um, every time he does that kind of like pushing himself more out and like expressing himself more instead of um, going along with what uh, the people say he has to do or the way he has to do certain things. I think his laugh, um, he does it a lot in the movie. Like even like during like sentences that like you wouldn't think he'd do it. He just does it because he's not allowed to express himself as much as he probably wants to. It's like those moments when he does it. It's like a, it's like him reminding himself, oh, I get to actually feel this for once instead of repressing it. Yeah, I, 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 I was reading some criticisms of when he does that. And I'm just like, I don't think it's goofy at all. It's if anything, it's bittersweet. It's very bittersweet because he knows he can't do it forever, because if he does, it shows weakness. And if he shows weakness, he can't get his art created in the way he wants. Yep. <clears throat> Which is why. Even though I liked, um, I'm blank on the character's name, uh, Salieri. Salieri, yeah. Salieri, played by F. uh, Murray Abraham. Even though I find their character tragic in its own right with how he learns to better understand himself through someone else's pain while also suffering. The reason why I find him so tragic and why I also think, man, you did some messed up stuff too, is because he realizes the implications of what happens when you conform and you stay silent in the in the face of other people being physically and financially affected by a larger system that doesn't allow them to have a voice or prosper like i remember there's a scene where uh him and mozart were talking i think it was a scene when him and mozart were talking and he, he was so shocked at how mozart was just contempt with the little earnings he would get for the stuff he would do even though i'm like you have no right to judge him when you're part of the same problem that's why he's struggling to get by in some in in some areas but at the same time he's kind of been almost programmed in a way to conform to survive so that's something i find just tragic about this whole movie is how the implications of conforming 
to either not only survive, to make wealth, to um, to get your voice heard, to have your art created so people can know that you're talented. There are sacrifices and hardships. And, and for some people, they benefit in the long run. And for some people, it's quite tragic. Even though, of course, I know at the end of the day, some of this stuff isn't like historically accurate, but at the end of the day, these are a bunch of, these are, these are a bunch of, um, these are a bunch of uh, whiteies dr dressing up in uh, pasty ass wigs. So I kind of don't really care about historical accuracy at this point, but it's just hard not to be immersed in a movie like this. Cause for one, can we talk about how gorgeous this movie is? How great these sets look? Cause oh my God. Um, hey, Wes Anderson, look at this. You will never be this good. I said it. I said it. Oh, shit. I, I said it. He'll never be this good at making these type of sets look this pretty. Like Jesus, if if Stanley Kubrick have ever had seen that movie before he passed, I bet he would be like, "Good shit," because I haven't <laughs> seen good costumes at a good period piece set like this since like Barry Lyndon. That's how. That's how. That's how amazing I think that. The, the costumes and the set uh, design is in the directing because there are times when the camera will be focusing on uh, like a, either a group of people and you see all the individual actions they're doing. I saw one person in the background, they look at what someone else's actions are and he started to mimic them like, oh shit, I got to do that to fit in. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is like a cult. <laughs> Attention to detail. I wanted to, not to change the subject or anything, but I wanted to refer back to like how um, there are certain changes between the theatrical and the director's cut because I was just looking up some things and uh, I just found out that um, the certain scene where Salieri um, and uh, Con Constanz, I think her name is. Um, oh, the, uh, the, he refers Mozart's to wife. as uh, uh, Stanzi. Yes, yes. Mozart's, yeah, Mozart's wife. That scene where um, she, uh, she gets naked for him, that scene is completely cut in the theatrical cut. Um, like yeah. they don't even like censor her or anything. Like it's just not even there. So I think without that scene, it really <clears throat> like I think without that scene, the final line that those two share together and like that and that uh, towards the end um, does not have nearly enough um, impact as it would have if it had that scene. I don't know if you know the line I'm referring to, but it's like the last line they speak together before. They split off forever. Oh, oh yeah. Just just because she sacrificed so much of like herself to make sure he was a person and to make sure he was a somebody. Yep. So wow, if that scene wasn't in there, it would just kind of be like, wait, what 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 did you do to um to make sacrifices for him? This this scene. Exactly. Exactly. That scene is Oh, man, that's an amazing scene. I think it's just, yeah, just great scene. It, it, it's, it's just, it, it's honestly a disturbing scene, just because it, 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 it also displays again like the whole shifting in power dynamics of that time, especially within um, any industry of creativity. You see that you, we still hear and read stories about that same thing happening now. Yep. Yeah, because when I first saw that scene, I was like, yep, this 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 definitely gives the implication. I'm like, yep, I saw the original cut. This is I've never seen this, never <laughs> really thought. Of it. I was like, shit. 
<clears throat> just the power dynamics of real law, just with Hollywood. I'm just like, ah. <laughs> But no, yeah, the, but the grand scheme of the film, especially again how <clears throat> it's shot, it shoots the Mozart concert. It's so grand and amazing to look at that. If I remember, um, the place where they did the concert, the opera, is actually the same place where Mozart himself performed these operas uh, himself as well. So I'm like, oh my god! So you 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 technically got to see a whole live concert of what could have been like Mozart's music in this actual same place. So it feels like you're like, <clears throat> feels like it's kind of like revisiting history in a way. And of course, just, and of course, knowing that it's Mozart, <laughs> this, the, the music of, of these operas are so, so fun to listen. They're so good. They could be just like super energetic and just fun and just hilarious. Or it could just be something like really, just something really bleak or dark that just very much represents, uh, more, more of Mozart's more personal tales coming to life in the opera. And there's scale. so many of them too. So you can kind of enwrap yourself with every single one of them. Uh, and they last for a good while. Like some of them last for up to like, maybe I want to say like three to four minutes. Like it takes up a good chunk, but like, I think it, you were just said, like you were just saying, Brandon, I think it goes, I think it uh, really helps kind of showcase who Mozart is and what he wants to showcase to the world rather than what he's being forced to showcase to the world. Yeah. Especially when he's like, <clears throat> make some con make some operas in here that, uh, that obviously goes against uh, the emperor, the, the King's uh, wishes. So it's just like, again, just still him as a persona sticking it to the man while still like, Someone playing it, say, just trying to do some form of conforming, just the way like, hey, we're, we're trying to do something that makes the higher ups happy and satisfied for the opera. F society. Yeah, exactly. Man, I don't need no Mr. Robot references right now. <laughs> we're talking about this. Uh, but Brandon, I love what you said about how there is a difference with how the scenes with the shows that he wanted to be made. There is a lot more energy behind the camera showing stuff on display compared to when he showed the ones he just made to just conform. The directing is completely different with its approach. And I like how visually uh, you see that difference. It didn't just feel like, oh, it's directed the same. It served no purpose besides the most obvious um, thing it's doing <sighs> yeah but yeah but what you said at the beginning of this episode um this was the quickest three hours for a movie i've seen i've seen a lot of long movies this <laughs> this flew by like there is one point i looked at the time i'm like oh it's 4 30 i look again oh it's it's past six o'clock <laughs> <laughs> got some tight tight neck pacing for sure movie has a tight script and it helps because of how though i think the the way the reason why it flies by so fast is because you just you get you just get so entranced in like this world especially with like i know it's our world at one it was our world at one point but um the way that the milos foreman is able to capture this time period um makes a lot of the a lot of the sets more a lot a lot of sets grand and inviting but 
there's also the subtleties of like this isn't exactly the best place because of how um I'm trying to think of the word just very uh there's very, a word like it's huh? very rigid very rigid and everyone's trying to conform to do the same thing and it kind of makes it a little bit of a horror movie at times because it's like i don't want to be part of this but it's also like the place is so beautiful <laughs> But, it, it's like the directing makes the audience fall for man i want to be here and then you're like oh shit i gotta get out and by the <laughs> end you're like oh god I, why did i ever want to go here yeah this, <laughs> this, this is a terrible place i want to go home <laughs> there's no place like home oh gosh it's, it's pretty much like the outside beauty it's like oh outside it's like oh it's so beautiful so wonderful it makes people go but once you see the darkest inside nitty-grittiness of like yeah it's it's fake yeah, I don't like this. Yeah. I don't it's, our, it's all artificial. It's not real. Yeah. <laughs> Just like how some of those plays like artificial. Wait, what? Oh. <laughs> oh. 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 <laughs> you said it, not me. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, is, are there are any thoughts about Amadeus, Kyle? People feel need to share? Um, Are we wrapping up or... Like, I'm going to wrap think... my thoughts up, or? I mean, unless you have more to say, feel free, because I can't think of any of right now. <laughs> yeah, y'all pretty much cover all the big beats. Yeah. yeah I don't right, want to give right. too much away if people have never seen it, because oh. watch it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm going to wrap my thoughts up then. Definitely watch it. I always say this. Watch it to form your own opinion. Um, I think this movie is a three-hour epic in the most grand, grand uh, proportions. And I think it's an epic on the outside, but on the inside, I think it feels a lot more personal. And um, even though it is telling the story about someone else, I think that Milos Forman put a little bit of himself in the character of Mozart. And um, you really see that throughout the movie. Performances are all top-notch, score, everything. Like I said at the beginning of the portion of the episode, it's a masterpiece. It, it's just... In all sense of the words, it's an enthralling masterpiece, and I'm giving Amadeus a 10 out of 10, 5 out of 5. Love it. Yeah, I'm with you on that, too, because like, like you said, it's just the outside's so grand, because for me, like, in the inside of it, it's like a it's like a horrific tale of the duality of, duality of men who have their own sense of <clears throat> egoism to it that really clash with each other where you see the dangers of conformity and you see the dangers of non-conformity and and how it really affects each, each other as the film progresses it's 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 beautifully shot it's so good it's just it keeps you enthralled what's going on and again like everyone said like for a three-hour film it goes by so so quick and just keeps you invested so for me 10 out of 10 5 out of 5 Still one of my favorite films, Masterpiece. What about you, Jay? Um, I'm just glad our guest this time didn't choose a movie that would take me nine days to finish. But um, <laughs> but um, as someone who's watched this for the first time, um, I don't believe a movie is perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect film. But if there is going to be a definition of what makes a perfect movie, it will just be the word Amadeus in all caps in the dictionary. Because this 
I want to watch this again, like real soon. This was an amazing movie. I, I, I love movies that have their own story about uh, about tragic characters, but they also are at the same time stories about the uh, like the filmmaking industry or the create uh, or the art making industry in general, any type of industry where people create content. I love stories like that where there's there's multiple layers of different stories happening all at once besides the, the initial premise of what the movie's about. And my God, is the music in this phenomenal. And I, a lot of people don't know this about me. I love period pieces. So I love looking at like classic costumes and classic uh, recreations of like old sets all, of all locations when people make these sets. These look uh, beautiful. <laughs> these were beautiful. Uh, Wes Anderson, eat your heart out. But this... I, I was enthralled. I, I I did watch part of the beginning again. I just didn't get a chance to this morning because life happens. But I definitely am probably going to be watching this again soon or maybe at least in chunks, maybe not this week because busy week. But um, in the to keep in the tradition of how I gave the rating for House of Gucci, I'm going to give this movie five out of uh, five Gucci's out of, out of five Gucci's. A, a, a 10 out of 10 Gucci's on the 10 out of 10 Gucci scale. This was a phenomenal movie. And Kyle, thank you so much for choosing a movie that me and Brandon like. <laughs> very Gucci. <laughs> very Gucci. Yeah. Or, or as Jared Leather will say, it's, it's a very little Gucci. Oh, oh God. Oh, God. 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 <laughs> God. Imagine. I, I would love him to, that that his portrayal of that character have his own youtube channel and he reacts to amadeus i would just love to hear his reactions in that voice can jared leto just stop acting like at, at any time please just just go away we don't want you anymore no no, no one likes him he, he can go away like like brandon said he's a punching bag at this point <laughs> Uh, before you wrap up kyle i wanted to ask you a question just to hear your quick thoughts on this uh would you mind uh, not for too long, but just giving like your quick thoughts on the new Wimpy Kid movie that you watch on uh, Disney Plus. Because I, I know, for one, I know Brandon hasn't seen it yet, neither have I. And we both know you have nostalgia because you grew up with the Wimpy Kid movies on like us. Well, not the movies, but the books. You grew up on the book series, uh, right? I did. So uh, would you like would you like to share your thoughts on this beautiful Disney Plus original movie that's not about to have a bunch of sequels, probably because of how cheap the first movie is not said by me. Oh, you're too kind, Jay. You're too kind. So, yes, I um, I'm a huge Wimpy Kid stan. I have been for all of my life ever since I've read the first book. I grew up with the books, love the books. Um, obviously, nowadays, they're not... I, I've read some of the books nowadays, and they didn't really hold up all that well. But for when I was a kid, yeah, loved it. Was super obsessed. When the first movie came out back in 2010, I actually had a birthday party at a movie theater. And all my friends came. We went to go see Wimpy Kid, and it was a fun time. Um, then the sequel came out. I love that one, too. The third one came out. I love that one, too. And I've since revisited all three of them recently first one isn't the best i'll admit that i think um the way they portray greg in that movie is brandon uh, stop smiling like that yeah yeah, yeah he agrees stop smiling I like that brandon because i know you don't like those movies <laughs> i know i know i know it's a hot take whatever uh but i think that movie still has some enjoyable moments the second one i think is a lot better especially with the fact when they uh, focus on uh, roderick and um not so much on greg because greg is a 
pretty big jerk. Uh, third one I thought was also really good with the whole father-son dynamic. I, I don't care. I enjoyed that part of the movie. I thought it was really well done. Steve Zahn has always been my favorite part of those movies, and uh, he really shined in that one. Um, and then they made a fourth one for some reason. Um, everyone was older. Everyone was way too old now for the movie, so they decided to recast everybody, including the mom and dad, which made no sense to me. And that movie, in my mind, does not exist. I know Brandon enjoys it for some reason. Wait, um, which one? Which one is that? The Long Haul. I think that's the only one I've seen. Are you serious? Oh God! Well, no way, because I seen no way because I seen the first one. I've seen it in years, but that's probably the only other one I've seen besides the very first movie from 2010. Yeah, yeah. The Long Haul for 2017. Yes. Yeah, I did thing, see that. It spawned the whole not my Roderick thing and whatever. And... I saw that twice in theaters. <gasps> Why? Man, I hey. won't lie. I had the I had a blast oh, watching oh. that. <laughs> like I saw it once by myself, and I had to uh, take a friend. Like, oh, you're you're gonna love this. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and uh, so recently. If anyone doesn't know, um, Disney decided to, uh, I don't even know what you call it, reboot or restart the series once again, but in animated form. And this one is kind of in the same vein as the Peanuts movie that came out a while ago with the same CGI animation. Um, <laughs> I uh, When I heard that they were making this, I was like, oh, it's kind of cool. I like how it's kind of the same design as the book because that's how it's animated is through the same designs as the book. Um, it's in color, which I thought was cool. It wasn't going to do like the drawing animation, but um, needless to say, I was semi excited for the movie, you know, um, and then they came out the trailer and I was like, wow, that was a really quick trailer. I wonder why it's so quick. Uh, and then the movie just came out, I think on Friday, I believe yesterday, I think. No, today's Sunday, Friday, I believe it came out and I didn't realize it already came out. So I decided to watch it really late last night. I had just finished. What did I watch last night? Oh, my God. Oh, it was Amadeus. I finished Amadeus, and I decided to put this on. Um, let me just say, calling it a Disney original, Disney Plus original movie is so very loose because this movie, movie is only 50 minutes minus credits. It's not even a full hour long. It's not even a full, like, full length. Um. I'll say my quick thoughts on the movie, I guess. I did not like it. It was not a very enjoyable experience. I thought it was um, just a really short and lazy rehash of the first book. And that's honestly all I thought it was. It wasn't even a full rehash of the first book because they left out so many different side plots that was in the first movie and the first um, first book. So, and Ro like Roderick and the dad are like in maybe two scenes. Everything else is just Greg and Rowley. It's a Greg and Rowley movie. That's all it is. Um, it, it, I'll be honest. I, I don't know why, but I felt like watching this movie just kind of like told me that, yeah, maybe the first movie is not that good because all this stuff that they did in this new animated movie was stuff they did in the original, you know, live action movie. But I don't know if it didn't just translate over to animation well, or I'm I just have crap taste. I don't know what it was, but this was not a very enjoyable movie. And I I think if you like 
the Wimpy Kid movies or the Wimpy Kid books, don't watch this. Just do yourself a favor. Do not watch this. But if you want to, um, if you want to hurt yourself, and if you've never seen any of the Wimpy Kid movies or the books, and you just want to watch a bad movie, quotes movie, then go right ahead. It's fifty minutes. What, what are you gonna, What are you gonna do about it? You know, it's it's a, it's a quick little fifty minutes, like a little short, little, little special, whatever you want to call it. Not good. One and a half out of five. Three out of ten. That's it. Uh, so wow, wow. First off, I didn't know how short it was. Yeah, that's I didn't, I didn't know either until like the day of, so that was fun. Uh, so it sounds like me and Brandon are definitely gonna be watching this. Oh, yeah, watch oh. it, enjoy it. Yeah, have a Brandon, great time. You know, we're gonna watch it. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm gonna watch it. That's just since I grew up with the Die with the Kid books and obviously have seen the movies and was like, yeah, no, not a fan, <laughs> yeah, but other than that, was like. I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to go see it because uh, it's animated form and it's short. So I'm like, mm. oh, yeah. Speaking <laughs> of the animation, the animation is like unfinished. Like it does not look good at all. Like it, it, it looks like it's made for a television show. Oh, it very much feels very TV movie ish because the fact that like even the music just feels <clears throat> cheap and there is uh, there is like a piece of music through every single scene in this movie it is over composed as shit like there's so much score it let it lets no scenes breathe not that you need a wimpy kid movie to breathe but it, it just <laughs> it just feels <laughs> yeah it feels like just shut up it's so annoying the whole movie is so annoying and they also turn um i don't know if you guys are any familiar with this character i know brandon is i don't know if you are jay uh fregley the kid that everyone doesn't like huh? <clears throat> one sec but yeah i for me like with the main series of wimpy kid uh i always did i always did knew back then i was like um roger gets the best part of the film and of course Steve Zahn is like trying so hard to appeal to the the quote-unquote charm of <laughs> the die wimpy kid series it's only until like when it's just more focused on Greg Heavily, I was like, eh, no. <laughs> Sorry, what yeah. I was saying was about Fregley is uh, they turned his character, which in the original movie, he was kind of just a weirdo who like was uh, low-key a psychopath. Um, in this new one, he's like a... Trigger warning. He's like a low-key, like a predator. What? Yeah. <gasps> yeah, they... they uh, they, they did my... Da- I mean, I, I, this is Fregley, but they did my man dirty. <laughs> On like, the family-friendly Disney Plus. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, Rim by the author himself. <laughs> yeah, wow. which I thought was weird too. Like, why don't you just let someone write it? I don't know. <laughs> like, you can write books, but can you really write a movie per se? I don't think you can. Jeez, I'm glad I decided not to watch this last night because I almost did. Yeah, you you picked the right choice by watching the new South Park special. Yeah, which was wild. Well, I'll talk. That's that's a thing for another day. But y'all heard it. Y'all heard it from Kyle. People don't don't watch Wimpy Kid. If if anything, if y'all want something animate animation to watch, go on Netflix and watch Arcane. Arcane's great. That's like some of the best uh, best television of the year. That's my favorite bit. It's my favorite piece of media from uh, this year right now. Like that, that is ridiculously good. So get off your mouse and go on 
Go on Netflix, even though they're just as bad. Even though I, are they really are they really that much better, Jay? No, they, they they treat their workers like shit too, so it's not that much better. But it, at least they refer to their creators as artists, unlike Disney yeah. refers to them as content creators. Like they're some like YouTuber or something. Shit, they might as well be with the amount of stuff they put out. Ugh. Uh, so Brandon, we're both gonna get a new Wimpy Kid five stars, right? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be real funny if it turns out I gave it a higher rating than all the Whippy Kid films. Oh, please. That'd be funny. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, doesn't that... the movie have a higher average right now than some of the, most of the Wimpy Kid movies? Does it? I think so. Oh god, yeah. I, I know, know people still I, I know people still like uh still dig Roger Wall, so who let's see. <clears throat> yeah, no, I am interested too. Cause that's gonna suck. Yeah, okay. Too. If I'm gonna okay, if I had rank all the movies, I'd say from best to worst, I would say um, <clears throat> Roger Rules, Dog Days, the first one, uh, uh, this one, the new one, and then Long Haul. And I know you guys are probably not gonna feel the same way because you guys enjoyed Long Haul, but <laughs> Long Haul annoys the ever living crap out of me. And the thing, and the only reason why Long Haul is not after the new one is because the new one's only 50 minutes like that's all i could take of that new one the long haul is like an hour and a half like it's a full-fledged movie and it's <clears throat> fuck, it's so annoying sorry excuse me english what is that it's like 2.3 <clears throat> for dire wimpy kid the new one yeah oh, like in ratings on like google they're higher than some of the other movies oh like, my god it- yeah the rod tomato scores a 63 percent I'll say this, uh, 68% of Google users like it, and the trusty, wholesome IMDb gives it a 5.7, because we can definitely rely on narratives. <laughs> I, I can. Just kidding. Oh, yeah, of course you can. No, I definitely can't. Yeah. Oh, I just realized the, the guy who plays Greg was the, was the one kid in Good Boys, not Jacob Tremblay, the other white kid. <laughs> they look the same. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let me ask this. Is Greg Heffley just as annoying in here as the original film or um I think he's more annoying. No, I say he's a little less annoying just because the first one goes on way longer than the the new one. That's the only good thing I, I can really say about the this this new one is it's short. Like it's super short. Um so it'll go by like super quick. Well, for me, it did at least because I was half paying attention most of the time because it's like, I've seen this already. This is all I've already seen all this. Like you're just like kind of jump cutting around the first movie. That's all you're doing. That's all I saw from it, at least. Kyle, I'm not going to lie. When, when you said that he was a more annoying, I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> I know you did. I saw your face. <laughs> Man, Brandon, imagine if you waited, you could have done a double feature of Wimpy Kid and Home Sweet Home Alone if you waited to watch it. Oh okay, God. Jay. I don't want to die. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> if you if you guys did that before the last episode of the podcast, Brandon would no would not be on this episode. I'm just telling you right now. No, he would. We would just have to summon him with a Ouija board. <laughs> Good God! Uh, I'd be like, hate it. It sucks. These kids are not. That that'll be just me summoning the Ouija board. <laughs> like I have the board and the the thing slowly moving around my hand, smelling Brandon White. <laughs> uh, but yeah, 
Yeah, Brandon, you can go ahead and take us away. Sign us out. <clears throat> but yeah, that that's it for our a solid episode of Cinema Exposure. But first, where can the lovely people find you at, Kyle, social media-wise? Uh, well, they can find me on my most active social media, Instagram. It's uh, at it's underscore, uh, I'm sorry, it's Kyle underscore official. And then um, I'm also on Letterboxd at it's Kyle. And you can also check me out on YouTube. Uh, it's space Kyle. That's the YouTube channel name. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. What about you, Jay? Uh, the good people can find me on Facebook at Jason Sneed, J-A-Y-S-E-N, Sneed, S-N-E-E-D. You can also find me on Instagram at j.inspiration, all lowercase. And, of course, the great people can always find me, Brandon, and if Kyle ever returns on the Cinema Exposure podcast, specifically on our Instagram page, called at cinema exposure podcast we can keep up with news and updates when episodes drop special episodes we got a couple special episodes in the works right now so be on the lookout for those and if you go to our instagram you can get access to our link tree link where you can not only access our all the platforms our podcast is available on because we are on more than just spotify and apple Podcasts for people who like to have a variety with where they listen to their podcasts you can also Find us on TikTok, where when we won't get to reviews on here, you can find me and Brandon giving short reviews on there. We're a little bit behind. We got to talk about a few movies, Resident Evil shit, but we'll get to them uh, real soon. And of course, you can also find us on that link at Letter uh, Letterbox, where me and Brandon post our written reviews at. But of course, you can always find us at the Great Cinema Exposure Podcast, where Brandon White is also at. Brandon, where can the good people find you? <laughs> They can find me on Facebook, Brandon White. They can find me on Instagram with Brand Doc White, or they can, or you guys can find me on Letterbox, where I give my reviews for films there <clears throat> at your Lampad or Brandon White. And that, <clears throat> and with that, with that said, uh, thank thank you so much for coming to our podcast as a guest, pal. We really did appreciate you coming in. Love being on here, guys. Um, hope to come back soon for another episode. This was a lot of fun. It's not like we're going to have you on the special episode soon. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, wiggle, wiggle. What? Yeah, what? It's not like it's going to be coming up in possibly nine days or so. I know nothing of this sort. I'm just here. Yeah, you're you're just here. We're we're just we're just we're just putting stuff out there. Yeah, yeah. You, may, you might see me back. You might not. We'll see. Mm-hmm. You might you might see him uh uh t- talking about um a little boy that's constantly bouncing around from family to family with a little spider logo <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> oh my god well while they're just saying that i'm just shaking my head in disbelief <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah that does it for our uh episode for the sim exposure uh can we um talk to, talk to you guys later and we'll see you on the next next episode take care guys bye <laughs>